The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hope you're hanging in there, doing all right. Just want to announce as usual, if you need anything, need prayer, uh, want to join into a small group, or uh, any way we can serve you, whether it's uh, delivering groceries or, or whatever you need, please let us know. Email at folfcrc.com. Email at folfcrc.com. So this morning we are going to have a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. We remember this letter was written by the Apostle John in his old age. He wants to give assurance to the church communities that he loved so much. And so today we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Let's read that together. John writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I miss my church. We miss meeting with one another. We find ourselves separated by distance in challenging times. Help us, Lord. Please bind us together to one another because we are bound together in you. We thank you for this opportunity to listen to your word. We pray that you would have your way in us as we open our ears and our minds and our hearts to you. I pray for your help, Lord. Please help me to teach this faithfully and encourage us all in Christ as we come before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In times like these, we need courage. I think... Through my own life, it's not just times like these. I, even in the easy times, I always need courage. But times like these, even more so. What is courage? Courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. Or courage is strength in the face of fear or pain or grief. And we need courage, don't we? Uh, the virus is impacting us, growing exponentially. And maybe even more painful for some of you right now is the economic expense. You've lost your job, you've lost your insurance, or you know someone who has, and you're just not sure how long you can make it. We need courage, don't we? And I'm not going to try to give you courage this morning by saying everything will be okay. I hope it will be okay. In some situations, it probably will be okay. But it might not be okay. Some people will lose their job and their savings, their health, their lives. 
So you say now, wow, Matt, uh, thank you so much for the courage. <laughs> but listen, if money and health is the only place we can find courage, we're in trouble. For true courage, we've got to go deeper. And we can. There are deeper realities that can give us an enduring courage in any situation. So we are continuing in our study through 1 John this morning. In our text today, I like to think we can find the fundamentals of courage. And I hope that will bring real encouragement to you. But before we do that, I want to do a little bit of review to remember what we've seen so far in 1 John. You'll remember if you've been tracking with us that 1 John is mainly about assurance. Assurance is the experiential confidence that you know God and he knows you and you're his. Uh, and assurance gets at the answer to this all-important question. How can we know that we know the real God? How can we know? And so we've seen how important clarity is on this issue. We need clarity. We need clear answers as to know, to know what it means to actually know God. Uh, one reason for that is this. It's quite easy to think you have a relationship with God when in reality you don't. And so one reason we're going through this book is that we love you and we don't want that to happen to you. We want you to know how to honestly, truly know the real God. But a second reason, and just as important, is it's possible to doubt God's love for you when you actually do know him. It's possible to wonder uh, if he's really there for you, if, he's, if you really have fellowship with him, when in reality you do. And so John wants to give you clarity so that that can move to confidence, so you can see objectively what it means to know God and then have the peace and joy and, and courage that comes from knowing that you know. So how can you know someone's a Christian? How can you have confidence that you know God? It's more than just saying you believe in a God out there somewhere. Uh, John has given us four criterion or tests. These are bedrock foundations for knowing that you know God. The first is this, we've seen this, the first test or criterion for how you know God is what you honestly believe about Jesus. What do you honestly believe about Jesus? To know God, you've got to know he's the eternal son of God who came in the flesh, became human, lived a perfect life as our representative, died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He rose from the dead. He reigns now. He'll, re he'll return. You trust in that? That's the starting point of knowing God. So the first test is what do you believe, honestly believe about Jesus? The second test is what is your honest conclusion about your sin? What is your honest conclusion about your sin? John has said over and over again, if we claim to be without sin, we lie in the truth not in us. So that means that um, you need to be honest with yourself about your relationship to God on your own and come to an honest conclusion about your sin. That's the second test. What you honestly believe about Jesus, number one. Honest conclusion about your sin, number two. Number three, do you have an honest desire to love God by obeying him? Part of how you know that you know 
God's love for you and your love for him is you want to keep his commandments. Not to earn your salvation, not to make up for everything you've done wrong. <laughs> That's not possible. But because he has loved you, you want to respond in love to him by obeying him. That's the third test. And the fourth test we saw last week, you're honestly committed to practically loving other Christians. That's a huge test. Do you love uh, the members of your local church? Uh, do you long for them? If, you, if you're filled with love for one another, that's evidence. You know God and his love. So those are those four tests or criterion or like, foundations for how you know that you know what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about your sin, how you respond to God's commands, and whether or not you love one another. If you have those things in your life, and again, we're not looking for perfection, there's nobody like that, but if you have those things genuinely in your life and you're growing in those things, you can know that you know God. Isn't that wonderful? That's courage. But if you don't, there should be some doubt that you actually know God. And I can imagine someone saying, hey, isn't it kind of judgmental to say someone else doesn't know God? Well, I don't want to be judgmental. I guess I would ask this. Is it judgmental to say that someone who eats meat isn't actually a vegetarian? Even if they put that on their Instagram. It's not judgmental necessarily. It's just honest. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the, the boundaries of Christianity. There's a statement of faith and a statement of how to live that define what Christianity is. Just as a square isn't round, just as a circle doesn't have any corners. There, there are definitions to things that are real and true. And this is what Christianity is and always has been and always will be. You confess your sin. You rely on who Jesus is. You respond to that with a desire to obey that shows itself in love for your neighbor. That's what it is. If you're in that, you can know that you know God. So that's where we've been so far in 1 John. Uh, we're going to look now at chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. And here we see John kind of pause in a way. He decides that at this point in the letter, it's time to take a break from what he's been giving the church. He's going to come back to it. And he wants to just kind of give them a big hug of encouragement. We remember these churches have been through a lot. As we study the letter, we see that most likely there was a group of people in their community who brought controversy in the community. They tried to change the idea of what we should believe about God. They tried to change the idea of what the community, how they should live. And, and they tried to change what it means to know God. And so, in a way, the community was left shaken. And so John here wants to give them courage. He wants to encourage them. And that's why I say I think we can find in these three verses... Four sources of fundamental encouragement. Four just bedrock realities that can give you courage for any situation. Four fundamental encouragements. So here's what we're going to see in these three verses. Number one, the encouragement of truth in community. The encouragement of truth in community. Number two, the encouragement of forgiveness Number three, the encouragement of overcoming. And number four, all that builds up to the encouragement of knowing. So here's our encouragements. Truth in community, forgiveness, overcoming, and the encouragement of knowing. 
So let's dive right in. First, the fundamental encouragement of truth in community. If you look at the basic structure of these three verses, six times you get some form of John saying, I write you because. I write you because. I write you because. There's two things I want to point out here. One part of the foundation for encouragement is the truth of Scripture. And you see that in the phrase, I write. I write so that you can be encouraged. Who's the I? It's the Apostle John. He's an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He's been given authority by Jesus to proclaim Jesus and what it means to know him so that you can know him. I write you. I write you so that you can know, so that you can enjoy, so that you can be encouraged. So friends, we remember there is an incredible, endless encouragement to be found in God's word. To be encouraged in any situation, you've got to be feasting on his word. Romans 15 verse 4 says this. Romans 15 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul was writing there of the Old Testament, but it's true for the entire Bible. Think of it. It was written so that you could endure with encouragement and hope. That's part of what the Bible is there for, to encourage you. So friends, in this time, maybe you have more time. Uh, maybe you're distracted to put your mind on this, that, and the other thing. Are you getting in God's word? I want to ask you this question. What's your meditation like right now? What's your meditation? And I'm not talking about uh, emptying your mind or finding the right yoga position. I'm talking about the percolation of your heart. And I'm using the word percolation because I love coffee. And because it's a wonderful illustration of how meditation influences you your heart is like hot water and what you meditate on is like coffee grounds and when we run those coffee grounds and that hot water together something comes out of that it's a new drink it's a new flavor that water has a new identity about it and this is what happens in your mind your emotions and your heart as you meditate on anything you know what it means to meditate. Here's how you know. Do you remember the last time you were anxious? Or maybe you're anxious this morning. Maybe you are full of fear. Maybe you're, you're irritable. And if we pondered, okay, what have you been meditating on? Which means, I want to know the ideas that are running through your head constantly. What's getting the majority of your mental and emotional attention? What kind of stories are you telling yourself about the future? And what are you continually kind of percolating your mind in and your heart in? If it's always the issues or the circumstances of the day, that's going to come out in anxiety, fear, irritableness, a lack of love, etc. You want to be encouraged in, in any time, in any place, uh, no matter what's going on. You know what you need to meditate on? Meditate on the scriptures. 
you'll find encouragement. This, this is not a, hey, once everything gets all back together and perfect, you'll be encouraged again. Oh no, this is the kind of encouragement that is tried and, and true throughout all the generations. No matter what people are going through, you can find encouragement in the scriptures. Second thing we see, a foundation for encouragement is community. Because really this point is truth and community. John says, I write you. And we think of these phrases he's used to describe this community in context. The first one, we saw it last week, beloved. I write you, these people I love. And then he's going to use the word father. So he's speaking of the, uh, the, those who are older, those who have been around, the, the veterans of Christianity. He's going to talk of the children. To, every, to John, everybody's children. But he, he, he speaks of young men, young women as well. There's the young, there's the old. This whole church community, this beloved community is going to emphasize different things about them. But they share it all in general. And he's saying, I write to you. And we remember these core details about the church. And that's what we're missing right now. Is we find encouragement not just from God's truth, but we find it from truth in community. We share it together. We share him together. That's one of the major difficulties of this time, isn't it? We're separated spatially. So I'm really thankful for technology and that uh, we can still connect in this way. But man, it's no replacement, is it? It's no replacement for being together. But I just want to encourage you here. Keep working to connect. Keep working to connect. Uh, just practical matters. You want to you tune into Bible study or a small group, email at folfcrc.com. We'll, we'll get you connected. But you can call your friend. You can, you can call your brother or sister. You can talk about God's word. You can pray together. You can listen to one another, one another because a core foundational reality for encouragement is truth. The truth of God's word, meditating on it, getting it in your heart, and doing that in community. And it just reminds me of what we have to be thankful for because we have that here at Fountain of Life. And one benefit of not being able to meet together is missing how we can't meet together. I know I've talked to many of you about that. And we can just say, you know what, I miss you. And we can realize, you know what, I'm so glad I have a community to miss. I'm so glad I have these people that I've shared God's word with. And I keep sharing God's word with. And it's just true. I don't have to, I don't have to prove it. Truth and community is encouraging. <laughs> I mean, you, you have encouraged me. And hopefully I have encouraged you and we have encouraged one another. Don't let go of these things. Fundamental encouragement, number one, comes from what? Truth in community. Second thing, the encouragement of forgiveness. Look now at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It's Christianity 101 right here. Number one, we're sinners. We're all sinners, and we deserve his ju God's just wrath. Sin believes the lie that God is not good. It believes the, the lie that God's word is not true. And then in order to, to satisfy our hearts, we replace God with something else. We become idolaters. We look to things that aren't God to give us what only God can provide. And in that way, we deny God's glory, and become, we, become, we get a, a selfish bent to define our own gods, define our own reality, define our own ethics. We become selfish and unloving. And in this denial of God and lack of love for him, 
according to his word, and this denial of our neighbor and lack of love for one another, according to his word, we have all sinned exponentially. And I'll be the first in line. I'm a sinner. And because God is good and just, we deserve his wrath. So I want to just emphasize, it's not we deserve his wrath because he's mean. We deserve his wrath because he's good. And he hates what is evil. And it's true for everyone who's ever lived except one. But there's really good news here. We can not only be completely forgiven, but we can know that we are completely forgiven forgiven this is awesome our god is a forgiving god but did you see here the ground of our forgiveness the foundation for your forgiveness did you see it i write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for what for his namesake so here's what i want you to let go of and give up on you are not forgiven because you deserve it you're not forgiven because you got sorry enough. You're not forgiven because you tried harder and made up for some of your mistakes. You are not forgiven because of anything that you can conjure up in yourself. The source and motivation of your forgiveness is outside of you and anything that you can do. And this is, we're gonna see, is wonderful news. Because God forgives us for his namesake. What does that mean? Well, the name represents a person. It represents a character. It represents someone who is somebody and has done something. For his namesake, we are forgiven. There's someone out there whose character and whose deeds cannot be ignored. And what he has done must be honored and recognized. And so that name, that person and his deeds is the source of my total forgiveness. We see what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, verse 1. John writes there, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We see here, Jesus is our advocate. He speaks for us. And it's his character, his person, his name, his deeds that have accomplished our complete forgiveness. We see that he's the righteous, Jesus Christ the righteous. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. We also see that he's the propitiation, which means he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we see that he's the advocate, which means he argues for us. And this is what Jesus says to the Father regarding his people. I have worn their sins. I have taken upon your wrath. There's none left for them. I have lived a perfect life, and I have given that standing to them as a free gift through faith. And you have vindicated what I've done in my resurrection. And so I say, Lord, Father, call them innocent. Call them righteous. And the Father is happy to do it. This was his plan. He's joyful to do it. And the motivation is for Jesus' namesake. His life was enough. His death was enough. His resurrection is enough to earn your complete and total forgiveness. 
So through faith in Christ, you can know, if you're a Christian, you can know all of your sins of the past. Let's just dwell there for a second. Remember that one you don't want anybody to know about? Remember the one that comes up in your mind and your heart every once in a while and you think, remember that one? The one you try to blot out? Remember that thought you, and, and you realized it and, you, and you, it was gross. Can God really forgive you of all your sins? The answer is yes. All the sins of your past, all the sins of your present, all the sins of your future, you can know they're forgiven in Christ. See what you think. I think this kind of promise is totally unique among all religions and philosophies. To know that we are totally forgiven. In my opinion, I'm no expert, but in my opinion, I don't think there's any other religion or system of thought that can offer you both a brutally honest assessment of yourself and the assurance of complete forgiveness. Other religions and philosophies, I think, kind of minimize our sin. You can do it. Follow these six steps. You can follow the rules. Or the most famous religion in our day, uh, spiritual but not religious, good personism. Oh, I'm a good person. Really? Every time and in every way? Wonderfully forgetting all the not good things you've done and judge others for doing? Not only do other religions and philosophies, I think, minimize our sin, they also give us no confidence of forgiveness. Because it's based on um, maybe the God figure picking and choosing. I may or may not forgive. Or it's based on your performance. Did, did, you, did you atone enough? Were you sorry enough? Did you go to enough services? Did you make up for it enough? We're, we're looking at your, are you sure? Did you do it enough? And as long as your forgiveness is totally based on you, how can you know you have any forgiveness? And here Jesus stands out in total beauty where he gives us a brutal assessment, an honest assessment of who we are. You are sinners and you have no hope of saving yourselves. There's nothing you can do to earn a holy God's forgiveness. But not only does he give the honest assessment, he gives the complete assurance that if you trust in him, he, he says to you in his word, I've paid for every single one. And we're not hoping that God willy-nilly will choose, yeah, I'll forgive this person, but not that person. Jesus actually, in this text, holds the Father to his promise that because of Jesus' actually perfect life and because of the reality that he actually paid for every one of his people's sins, it is not conceivably possible for a holy father to not forgive his people. He must, because he has ordained it so, he has arranged it so, he has promised it. So you can know, Christian, you are completely forgiven. And if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. You're forgiven today in Jesus Christ. There is, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not any. Not any. That's encouraging. So we've seen, fun, we're looking at fundamentals of encouragement. We've seen the encouragement of truth and community, the encouragement of forgiveness. Now we're going to think about the truth of overcoming Look now at verses 13 to 14. 
John writes, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. Twice we see it, overcome the evil one. What does that mean? What does it mean to overcome the evil one? Who is the evil one? I think Christian thought would be consistent in saying the evil one is Satan, right? He's a twisted angel, pridefully hates God, and he wants two main things. Number one, he wants to deceive you. Tells you that God's not good, his word's not true to find satisfaction, replace him. But not only does he want to deceive you, he deceives you so that he can destroy you. He deceives you so that he can destroy you. He wants you under the penalty of sin. He knows God is holy and he knows that as you sin, you'll deserve condemnation and judgment. He wants you under that. But not only does he want you under the penalty of sin, he wants you under the power of sin. He wants you to love what he loves. He wants you to hate God and hate God's ways and find God irrelevant and unvaluable and he wants you to make you he wants to make you a slave to bad desires just like him he wants you under the penalty and power of sin but john writes here to encourage this church that in christ they have overcome the evil one and number one as we've seen already through faith in jesus we've escaped the penalty of our sin we're already completely forgiven We're made righteous in Jesus Christ. We've escaped the penalty. But not only, John says, do we escape the penalty of sin, we escape the power of sin. See, friends, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't just forgive. He does forgive. He doesn't just forgive. He transforms. He doesn't just forgive your sins. He changes you at the core. He changes what you love. And in that way, he rescues you from the power of sin. In that way, you overcome the evil one. In that way, he sets you free to love what is good and beautiful, to love God and his commands. Give you a little more context on what it means to overcome the evil one. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. 1 John 5, 3 to 5. John writes, 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our, our what? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the answer. So you see in these verses, number one, a fundamental change. Did you notice that phrase, born of God? There's a change that happens in the Christian heart, a transformation so severe, it looks like an entirely new life. It's a new birth. It's a new start. And the issue is a heart change. This is the love of God, John says, that his commandments are not burdensome. So we don't look at his word anymore and go, oh, why would anyone want that? No, we look at his word and go, yes, I want that. I love God and I love his ways. Now, what on earth could do that to you? The Holy Spirit changes your heart through faith in Christ. Changes you. And so we see something here about faith. 
John says the one who believes overcomes. The one who's overcome the world and the evil one is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So friends, this is real important clarity here. Faith in Jesus does not stop at knowing facts about Jesus. Those facts are essential. Those facts are so important. I'm not minimizing them in any way. That's the only way you know the actual Jesus. But faith is more than knowing facts about Jesus. It's a reliance on him in such a way that he is most valuable to you, more valuable than anything else. And when you see him for who he is and the light goes on and you see his love for you and it responds, uh, it, you respond in your love for him and you want him more than anything else, well, guess who just lost? The evil one lost. What can he do anymore? What can he say anymore? His lies don't land anymore. The penalty of sin has been broken in what Jesus did for you on the cross, and the power of sin has been broken in the heart change he has worked in you as you put your faith in him and you say, you know what, I love him the most. I want him the most. I want him the most. You can see then what John means when he says, you've overcome the world, the word of God abides in you. He said that in Verse 14, chapter 2, 14. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you. Hey, people of God, clinging to God's word feeds the faith in Jesus that changes the desires and that overcomes the evil one. And you abide there. You're staying close to Jesus in his word. You're clinging to it. You're listening to it. You're meditating on it. And that faith gets stronger. You don't need what the evil one's offering anymore. You want Jesus the most, and you're out from under his control. You've been set free. You've overcome him. This helped me so much this week. It's just this little internal battle uh, with a sinful thought and an attitude. And I was, I was having a hard time with it. And this text popped in my mind. You've overcome the evil one. I just realized, you know what? He doesn't get to win anymore. I can confess and be forgiven. Moreover, I have new power. I have a new claim that love for God and his commands is mine through Christ. We win. And so John can say this of this church. Church, I've seen this in your life. I've seen your love for Jesus. I've seen your love for his word. You've overcome, you've overcome the evil one. You're out from under the penalty of sin. You're forgiven, and you're out from under the power of sin. You have new desires, and I've seen it in you. You're his. Be encouraged. And I'm no apostle, but found of life, I can say this of you. So many of you. Seen it in your life. You've seen it in one another. You're changing. Your hearts have been changed. You've trusted Jesus. You're forgiven. And you're wanting to follow him and obey him and seek him. Guess what? You've overcome the evil one. Isn't that encouraging? On to our fourth fundamental of encouragement. We've seen encouragement comes from truth and community. We've seen encouragement comes from forgiveness. Encouragement, we've seen the encouragement of overcoming Finally, we're going to land with the encouragement of knowing. Verses 13 to 14, John says, I'm writing you fathers because you know, whom is, you know him who's from the beginning. I write you children because you know the father. I write you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. 
Fathers, children, fathers, old, young, old, whole church community, I write to you because you know him. He says, him who is from the beginning. What does that mean? Well, as, as I was pondering this, I was thinking, with some things, they're great when they're new. Like, uh, do you want an iPhone 4 or at least an iPhone 7? I'll take the new one. Or how about medical technology? I was reminded this week, I bet George Washington wished he lived past the days of bloodletting and leeching as medical care. George, you're not feeling good? I have some leeches to place on you. I'll take new medical technology. We could all wish we had a new, clean, effective vaccination for COVID-19, Lord willing. Some things are great when they're new, but other things... Only the original will do. That's especially true of God. No new gods, please. I want the God who has existed eternally and created all things by his word. I want that God. And I want the God who promised redemption and salvation from the first sin back in Genesis 3. I want that God, the only God, the living God, no new gods, him who is from the beginning. Another thing where only the original will do, no new gospels, please. No new gospels. I just want the original, the original one that cannot be improved upon, where the eternal Son of God comes in the flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ, the real, original Son of God, bringing people to himself through his life, his death, his resurrection. I want the gospel that tells me I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and I know that by the authority of Scripture alone. That's the one for me. Here's the encouragement. John is saying, children, fathers, Christians, in this gospel, you know him who's from the beginning. You know the living God. And you know him through that real, original gospel. And look at how you know him. I write to you children because you know who? You know the Father. You know the Father. Church, this should encourage you. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, verse 1. See. See what kind of love the Father is given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What love that God would come to sinners like us and not just bring us in on the fringe or let us sit in the corner or call us an unviable slave or let us be one of the crowd. That's not what he did. He brings us in through Christ, and he calls us children. He calls us heirs. If you trust Christ to save you, you can know that you are God's beloved child. He knows your name. He has written your story. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's going to lavish his loving kindness upon you forever and ever and ever. 
His inheritance, his kingdom, his new earth is yours. And everything in this life is going to work for your good and his glory. You have his provision, his compassion, his care, his communication, his faithfulness, and his love forever in any and every situation. You know him who is from the beginning, and you know him as your father. What could possibly be more encouraging than that? We don't know how things are going to go this spring or this summer or in this life. I can't give you courage by saying everything in your circumstances will be okay. I hope they will be. I pray for it, but we don't know. But we have something here more fundamental than money or health or politics. We have God's word in one another. We have the promise that we are forgiven of all our sins in Christ. We have the power that comes from knowing that we have overcome the evil one. Our hearts are changed. And we have the great assurance of knowing that in Jesus, we know the real God as our Father. And nothing can take any of that away. Nothing. Be encouraged by that today. Meditate on that today. If you're a Christian, dwell on that today. Take, take one day off from all the crisis in the world. Hey, be informed. I want to be informed. Make wise decisions. I want to make wise decisions. Participate well in your community. I want to do that too. But take one day off on the Sabbath day and meditate, not on the mess, but on your God and what he has done for you and how nothing can change that. And be encouraged. Then I'll finish with this. Maybe you're not sure you're a Christian right now. You're listening to this. Maybe you're on the brink. Maybe you kind of want to have this, but you don't know that you can. Seek God. Talk to Jesus. Ask him to show you. Ask him to win you. He invites you to know him as well. This gospel is an invitation to everyone. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can know what every Christian can know if you trust him. You're forgiven. He'll change your heart, and you can have him as your father. I pray that'll happen in you today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these incredible promises, and we thank you for how we've enjoyed so many of them in our lives already, and we pray that they would ring with a new truth and beauty today. Encourage your people today, Lord, all around the world. Encourage Fountain of Life. We thank you for the encouragement of truth and community that we share that together. We thank you for the encouragement of knowing we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the encouragement of seeing hearts changed, to love you, to follow you, to walk in your ways. We've overcome the evil one, and we thank you for the great encouragement of having you, the living God, as our Father. Lord, we thank you for the promises that these are ours in Christ, and we pray that we would taste them, maybe for the thousandth time, or maybe for the first time, 
but that we would taste them today and in them find great encouragement. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fofcrc.com.